We just thank the Lord for his word. Really just been thinking about that for the last uh, few days, how important God's word is. You realize how important his word is. Because without his word, his word is a compass. Without his word, what do you have? Right? You're just wandering. You're out there on the ocean just wandering. Imagine having no compass. Imagine having nothing to guide you. Then you're just guiding yourself. And then you know what? You end up where you end up. And it doesn't mean that it's God, does it? Right? That's the world, right? The world just wanders about, and they just end up where they end up. You ask them, how did you get here? I don't know. We want to be people that are focused. We want to be people that have a plan and a purpose by the Lord, right? Dictated by him. And we'll get right into this sermon we are a part of God's kingdom. Who knows that you are a part of God's kingdom? There is a kingdom of heaven. There are kingdoms of the earth. And there are kingdoms in the unseen realm that are opposing the kingdom of heaven. Who knows that these things are true? The Bible says, Jesus said actually of, him, of, his, of the kingdom that we're a part of. He said, my kingdom, in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. And this is part two of the kingdom of heaven. And I want to say this. It's an inside, outside, upside down kingdom. I want you to say that out loud with me. It's an inside, outside, upside down kingdom. Because there is the kingdom of heaven, and then there is the kingdom of the world. In Matthew 4, you find that Satan took Jesus and showed him the kingdoms of the world. I, I like to say little g, right, about the God of this world, right? Satan and his, his minions are the little g gods of, of the unseen realm. But uh, I would call it the little k, right? We've got the big k, the real kingdom, and we have the, little, the kingdoms of this earth that will fail. They are going to fade away. Both the seen and the unseen kingdoms Outside of the kingdom of God, my word says that all of it gets thrown into the lake of fire once and for all. And you can see also in Matthew 4 that after Jesus comes out of the temptations that he faced there with Satan being offered the kingdoms of this world, he comes out and he begins to preach. And our word says that his message was, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So there is a contrast between the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, and the kingdoms of this world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, and then into 20, he talks about this concept. He says, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So we have the kingdom of heaven, we have the devil and his fallen kingdom, and then we have earthly kingdoms. And you can choose which kingdom you want to be a part of. And if you choose to be a part of God's kingdom, then you need to make another choice. Are you going to do what God has required? Are we going to 
consider his word, look at his word and really see not just accepting, accepting salvation, which was given to us so uh, amazingly by Christ without any cost to you. He did it before you ever said yes. Our word says that while we were still sinners, there he was on the cross, right, dying for us. 2,000 years in the past, looking ahead to 2023 at you. But the Bible tells us that we have to make a choice, that if we want to be pleasing to God, if we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you know, why would the Bible tell us that there are the least and greatest in the kingdom of heaven if it didn't matter? Why would he tell us to consider uh, this right here in Matthew 5, Jesus' words, consider this, that in the kingdom of heaven, those that don't obey me, they'll be least, but those who obey will be great. So Revelation tells us, as I've just noted a moment ago, that the other kingdoms are going to fade away. The only kingdom that's going to last forever is our eternal kingdom. It's the one we should be focused on. It's very easy for the world, really, they're not even focused on the earth. They're, they're in, fully in the devil's kingdom. There are those that are in the unseen. There are those that are in the elite realms of this earth right now. They are setting things up, believe it or not, setting things up to live forever, but without God. You could call me a conspiracy theorist maybe some time ago, but now these things aren't even conspiracy. They're right there in the news, right? These things are in the news, and you can just see it. It's in plain sight. That they're doing all these, making all these different moves scientifically to try to exist forever, but without God. But my word says that all of their efforts will fail. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So if we are citizens of heaven and not of this earth, and we're not trying to strive to build a world here or trying to build something without God, what are we doing then? We are, as his people, striving, right? Not in, a, not in an earthly way, not in a fleshly way. You know, there's a striving that's okay. There's a, we say don't, we're not striving in the kingdom of God. You maybe you've heard that phrase many times. I've certainly heard it preached many times. That you, someone would come over and they'd pat you on the back and say, I think you're getting into striving. And that was a term that kind of meant when you're trying to work things out for God, trying to do things in your own strength. And that is a striving that it's true. We need to bring that back before the Lord and we need to let his presence, we need to let uh, his word and the Holy Spirit do the work in us and through us. And we just need to just be obedient. There is definitely a case where you could get burned out by trying to do things for God. But then there's a striving that is from the Lord. And that is what, like what Paul talked about. I'm striving. I'm looking at the finish line. I've got my eyes on the Lord. And I've got my eyes set on eternity. And I'm striving for that. That's the life that I want. That's where I'm headed. And I'm realizing that that's what matters and nothing else does. That's a striving that you will never be condemned for. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. If heaven is for eternity and earth is just for a short while, why would we trade? 
Why would we want to be least in heaven and be great here? Why would we not want to be least here to be great in heaven? But it's such a short-sighted thing to strive to be great on the earth and to achieve here. We must see God's warning here. It's actually a warning. It's not just a scripture. There are scriptures that can tell you things about God. There are scriptures that tell you things about people who lived, you know, in Old Testament times and this is how they lived and this is what they did and we can learn all kinds of things about God. And then there are other scriptures that are warnings that we must heed. That if we see what's in the scripture, it's telling us some things to pay attention to because you have a short while to do what the word is asking you. Who's okay so far? I'm blazing into it. I went right into this. Everybody okay? God's kingdom is the opposite of the world's kingdom. It's opposite from the way the world thinks and lives. God said of himself in Isaiah 55, he said, My ways are not like your ways. And this is why I've been really thinking about this a lot, because Romans 1 says they exchanged the truth for a lie. Everybody say, the world has exchanged the truth for a lie. Who knows this one? This is one that if you've been born and raised in the church, you're going to know. Isaiah chapter 5 says that they call evil good and good evil. Who has seen that switch around, right? Also, we see in the word, it says that they worship the creation and not the creator. So the Bible talks about how the world is really opposite of God. And its thoughts and its ideas are opposite of God. But isn't it amazing that God did not leave us here to just wander about and try to figure it out? And, and many Christians, I think, could be stuck there, not in this church, but we've all been there at times in our lives where you're still kind of wandering, trying to figure things out, but the answer is so clear. It's his word. The only reason it's hard is because it's opposite of your flesh inclinations. It's opposite of what the world is saying today. And, and now, more than ever, I think the Lord has got extra grace on us in this time. I know, just my opinion. I mean, does his grace increase? I don't know. Could it get any better? I don't know. But I believe that the Lord is giving us some grace because we are being bombarded with so many lies. It used to be like when, when some of the older ones here were kids in school, your textbook said at the beginning of your science book, all right, it, it would say the theory of evolution. Who remembers? Who's old enough to remember that it said the theory before it? It used to say the theory of evolution. Go look at a textbook now. They removed the theory. In fact, I remember my mother telling me when she was a little kid, they taught it side by side with some creation. Maybe not God necessarily, but, you know, not, and not that everything just existed and just evolved. And, but th there was this, this idea, okay, that, you know, maybe not saying that Jesus is Lord, but that something or someone created, and, and that's one theory, and here's another theory, right? Then we just tossed out that theory, which is not a theory, is it? It's truth, 
And we just adapted to this other theory that's only, really, only 150 years old. You realize that? So after 6,000, 7,000 years, whatever you want to believe, all of a sudden, 150 years ago, we just recreate our existence. We evolved. It's only the 1800s. And all of a sudden now, that becomes our truth. And if you stand and say one word against it, you now are not only crazy, right? You are, you know, all these other words for you, right? You're a truth denier. A truth denier. It's insane, and yet the Bible said to us thousands of years ago that this would happen. And it's not so different today, really, than it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not so different than it was at the time of Noah. And the Bible says that uh, every person did what was right in their own eyes. If you don't have an established truth, then you're just going to create your own truth. Right? You're going to just come up with whatever you think collectively, right? So, so society collectively starts, we, we merge like a flock of sheep. Is that the right word, a flock? They have names. And you say a flock, a flock, right? That's weird because that's usually for birds. That's why it confused me, right? Right, a sheep, a flock. Yeah, I mean, I know it, but it sounded so strange. It came out of my mouth. But society just moves, right? There was a, a study. What's, the, what's that word? Is it lemmings? Is that how you say it, right? It's a, it's a bird, right? Right? It's a bird. And they follow each other. And the idea was, right, they'd follow each other right off of a cliff. Because once one starts going, then they all just following. And we call it, this, this idea as lemmings. But like a flock of sheep, we just move with society. And whatever ideas they say are right, you have to conform to. And if you don't submit, you're the outcast. You're crazy. Even though, if we just went back 200 years ago, and I said something like, huh, you see that monkey in that tree? That's my great uncle. You know who would be crazy? Not the rest of the world, you. And now, if I say anything against that idea, even remotely, I am a total wacko. And so you see that God's kingdom is eternal. God's word is eternal. And the only reason why things get crazy, even the church, is because we start degrading it, watering it down, or just outright removing it. And it is our only compass. And you know the Word has said truths that are being discovered in science today, but it has said it since before we could even understand what it said. I've heard that many times, you've, you've probably heard it too, that George Washington died because they put leeches on him. He got sick, and the idea with leeches, the theory was that they would draw out the poison in your blood. And uh, I don't know if it's true or just historical folklore, but I was raised to hear that he, he was bled to death. Anybody ever heard that, that idea? They bled him too much. Okay, Dan's with me. You've, at least one person's heard it. Whether it's true, I don't know. We weren't around hundreds of years ago. But that's what I had read in history. Now, the Bible says what? The life is in the blood. 
Now, the Bible said it thousands of years in the past, not even realizing that, I mean, science didn't even realize yet that this wasn't just a saying, but it is a scientific truth. Nobody even had telescopes. Nobody could see into space. And then the, but the Bible describes the earth not as a half circle, Rick, as a circle. <laughs> not a disc with a dome. All you flat earthers out there. The Bible described it as a circle. How did, it certainly wouldn't have looked like a circle. If I read the Bible 500 years ago without any type of telescope, without any, you know, cameras out there from NASA shooting back at me and said it's a circle, I'd be like, it looks pretty flat to me. I mean, as far as I can see, yeah, the mountains go up and down, but it looks flat. Overall, right, it's flat by scale, right? The scale of the earth, obviously, you know, the mountains go up, right, 25,000 feet. We go down in the ocean, 25,000 feet, but... Overall, you know, because of the amount of miles straight, it's a, it's a straight line. It's a flat surface, and yet it's a circle. The Bible said it, but now science caught up with the truth. But anything that's inconvenient in the Bible, that just, you know, the things that just so happen to be true, good for the Bible. But anything that's inconvenient to our cultural and ideological, I, the ideas of our society, we're just going to toss out We'll take what we like, merge it all together, and just believe what we want to believe. Just let me be who I want to be and do what I want to do. The Bible has always been opposite. And you know, when Jesus came, that's really what messed up the religious. Because when Jesus came, there were lots of people that were doing on the surface things that looked holy and looked religious. Jesus gave a tremendous amount of grace to the hooker. But he gave very little grace to the religious. How ironic. And why? Because at least the hooker was just, she was like, this is who I am. She wasn't lying about who she was. And Jesus could deal with her. She was broken and she needed him, right? The, at least, again, his, historically, we believe that that would be Mary Magdalene, right? Who came, right? Crawling to his feet. Jesus forgave her. Well, I don't know if that's true, if that's just, you know, his, uh, historical folklore again, and, and biblical historical folklore, but a lot of Christians throughout history believed, right, when Jesus freed her, and then he looked at the religious and said, cast the first stone, right, that that was Mary Magdalene, who then ended up following him the rest of her life. But meanwhile, the religious thought that they had everything figured out, and they had it all in their heads, they had a really good understanding of things of God and ideas of God and knowledge of God. We are not supposed to gain knowledge. You reading your Bible is not to learn. Wow. I just, wow, shocked a lot of people. It is not an attempt to learn about God. It is to know him. You can learn about Hitler in a book. You can learn every single detail about him. But the amazing thing about God is that he composed a book that is not just a, a, a historical book, but would be a compass for all time, and that if you let it become a part of you, it would literally change who you are. 
I want to say some statements, some concepts that are opposite in this world to the kingdom of God. The way up is down. The way to get to the Lord is to what? To lower yourself and humble yourself. You want to go up? You want to go to heaven? Then lower yourself down to the lowest of lowest of low. Humble yourself. You want to get out of a situation? Then you got to get into his presence. To get out is to go in and so on. The way to be filled is to be empty. The way to receive is to give. The way to be strong is to be weak. The way to live is to die. Wow. The way to be great is to be last. The way to be first, I mean, the way to be great is to be least, and the way to be first is to be last. The way to be honored is to serve. That's a little different, isn't it? The way to be forgiven is to forgive. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive you. Anybody ever think about that? I mean, does that apply to the forgiveness on the cross? I don't know. Some people would say that that's impossible. There's no way he could discount that. But then why would Jesus say it? In fact, he wrote a whole parable about it. He said, I forgave this guy so much money, and he went out and he wouldn't forgive somebody of one little thing. And I said, you know what you're going to do with him? I'm going to take him back from his freedom. That sounds like salvation to me. And put him in where? In hell. Chains of darkness. Chain him up to the torturers. Give him to the torturers, he says. The way to serve, to, the way to share Christ's glory that's in heaven with him is to suffer. The way to have faith is to fully let go. So to believe is to not, is to just say, Lord, you're in control. The way to be wise is to become a fool. The way to know God is to become a child. Other concepts that are so opposite in the earth, especially today, love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Give more than's asked of you. The world is self, 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 self. Jesus taught nothing but selflessness. Basically, I said last week, just do the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. Every time that your inclinations, your mind rises up to want to react, just do the opposite and you'll probably be following the Lord. And it must be clear, you cannot do this on your own. Romans 8 As I mentioned last week, it is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot just be good. You cannot just read a book and say, I'm going to follow this. We must read it and see it and be broken before the Lord and say, I want to change. And then you're going to fail miserably. But then the Holy Spirit's going to start to move in your life. And little by little, people around you are going to start to see a change, and you'll start seeing the change in yourself. You don't talk the same way. You don't act the same way. You don't want to be around certain groups of people anymore even. Things start to change. It's a spiritual thing. It is not just a mental thing. And yet it took a choice for you to, you mentally acknowledged there's something wrong here. So it's something to do, right? Who can really divide the line between body, soul, mind, and spirit? Can anybody really divide that line? So there's somewhere where it is an intellectual thing, and at some point there's an understanding, even a very simple, like a child, doesn't have to be, we're not talking a scientific intellectual, I just mean something in your brain, like a child knows I'm hungry. Well, that was funny. But that's it. Right? That's the only way they have to communicate. And we know, hey, they're crying. There's only a few things that there probably is. They're either tired, they're hungry, right? (laughs) Or they got a diaper that's filled. 
Too early for them to be tired. Check their diaper. They must be hungry. And that's it. There's an acknowledgement. I need the Lord. Literally, that could be the, that's a salvation prayer. I need you. That's it. Done. The Lord says, okay. But then what happens? He begins to what? What's the very first thing the Lord leads us to? Who heard scriptures in your spirit before you even read them? Who knew what was right and wrong before you ever heard it? All right, the Holy Spirit begins to work. And what the Word does, the Word comes in and says, wow, I always knew that. And then what happens is the Lord starts taking you further, and you say, I didn't know that, but he gave me grace in the meantime and begins to change you. Why is this important? Because the world is opposite, and you live in it. Your flesh is a part of it. Whether you like it or not, you were born under a curse. I know we don't like to talk this way, that somebody coming in those doors is cursed. But you are. You were born cursed by sin, cursed of the earth. And without the redemption, without him breaking the power of Satan on you and breaking that curse, he did not break the curse for all creation on the cross. He broke it, yes, outside of time for all time for all creation. But who made the choice to say, Jesus, I want you, and came out of that curse? Each of us accessed something that, yes, it was done 2,000 years ago, but you were cursed until you received it. And what we must do is continue to receive his word because it is so opposite and more than ever of your inclinations and especially the ideas that are being taught in this world as normal and accepted. And don't be ashamed. We must not be ashamed that the word is opposite. It wasn't that long ago that you could blend in in America as a Christian. Don't be ashamed that you can't blend in as much. Don't let them change you. You change the world around you. Jesus, the reason it was such a tornado when he came is because Everybody was just trying to go with the flow. We got Roman occupation. Just, you know, we don't want to ruffle any feathers here. And we got the religious and everything's in order. Then Jesus came along and said, what are you guys doing? You're basically, you're just existing, but you're not living. And you look like you're going through the motions pleasing God, but in your heart are all these issues. So what Jesus turned on their head, I said earlier I would get to this, now I'm bringing it out. Jesus turned on its head was this idea that you could, you could go through these motions and actions and actually not have the heart, and it is not only invalid, but actually putrid to God. God called them serpents, as I said last week. We need the Word, and we need the Holy Spirit. Your natural inclinations, without change, will be self-preservation. Without letting the Word and the Holy Spirit change you, it's self-preservation. You are going to try to protect self, protect what you believe, protect what you know, and it will be your truth, whatever you think is right. We must heed the words of Jesus. I wanted us to look here for the for as we round third here in the sermon, I want us to look at a chunk of scripture that is just amazing. It's so powerful. It's in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. 
I want to say WWJD. Who remembers the bracelets, right? And then they kind of started to make a little comeback not too long ago. I had a bracelet again. I used to wear it. I never took it off. The white letters became brown, right, just because they got dirty. I literally never took it off for like a couple of years of my life as a teenager. And then it came back out. Uh, you know, it was like a trend again. And I had one again. But it was a little bit harder for me to keep on. I need one of those cloth ones that, I, again, it was, was like a leather one. It was just something I couldn't leave on. But we need to think more about what would Jesus do? I don't think we consider that enough as Christians. It's such a simple statement. I, it was from the Lord for us in this time. Because if you just stop and ask that question before you react, before you respond, before you think even, just stop and think about what you're thinking about. I'm not even talking about acting. And just say, would Jesus think like this? Would Jesus speak like this? Would he go here? Would he do this? Would he be with these people? And would he laugh at their jokes? Would he love them? Yes. Would he be gracious and compassionate? Of course. But would he just try to blend in with them? Absolutely not. The Bible says, in Philippians 2, we're just going to read a few verses here. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. I'm just going to read through verse 11. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Verse 6 says, though he was God. Just let that sink in for a minute. He was God. Jesus was still God. My Bible says that even though he was in the earth in a human body, born into Mary's womb, right? He was put there by God and then went from that moment on, went through all the normal stuff we go through. But my Bible says he was still God. But he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's those kingdoms. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, de that deserves a glory. The Bible says here, it says, you must have the same. Everybody say, the same. I'm getting ahead of myself for these next few minutes. But your translation might say the, the mind, the same mind. You must think, you must have the same attitude, you must have the same mind that Christ Jesus had. The Bible says the same. Everybody say it out loud. The same. Say it again, just one more time. Just humor me. The same. 
Same. So why do we tell God, sorry, I'm not Jesus, when we mess up? Forgive me, I'm human. I'm not saying you can't do those things, because you're not Jesus, and you are a human being. But too many times it becomes a cop-out. And that's the striving that we must have. It's not really taught a lot. We must strive to let the image of Christ take over our image. I could really get into this, and we will, in the coming weeks. And about in two weeks from now, I'm going to get deeper into it. But I just want to read a few things. Number one, he said, verse one in Philippians, he says, don't be selfish. The King James calls it vain glory. And the Amplified says, don't do anything with wrong motives. And the idea is that you are not thinking of self. You're not yourself. Come on, I just want you to picture self, right? That is me, myself, and I. This is your interest. These are your feelings. These are your wants. These are your cares. The Bible says in verse 3, he's, he's starting here. He's getting to the point that this is how Christ lived, right? We get that. He's going to tell you what Christ did on the cross in a moment. But he's starting here in, in verse 3 saying, the same attitude as Christ as in what I just said. Okay, do you get that? So not just the list that follows, but that did Christ, was he selfish? Did Christ think about himself or did he think about you and I? Jesus had pure motives. And I would say that that's the thing that he dealt with with the religious more than anything was the motive in their heart. What was the real reason why they were doing what they're doing? And it's the, the, real, it's the issue that we must deal with inside of us what is the reason why we do anything in God or for God or in the name of God? It says in verse 7 that he made himself no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. In Romans chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say, the, insult, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Jesus did not live to please himself. Now, this isn't, I'm dealing, going to be dealing with principles, opposite principles, and it's very easy if you look around in the world, you don't have to look very far, look at yourself first before you look at the world, you're going to find that it's very normal as a human being to think about what are my needs? What are my wants? It can be tempted, very easily be tempted to say, well, I deserve some happiness too. And it's actually a temptation from Satan. You don't deserve happiness. You don't deserve anything. It's a revelation I had about five years ago, and TJ was working in the truck with me, and I was driving, and all of a sudden, just this weight... You know when those revelations come? It's a concept that's been around since time began. God created it. I didn't discover it. It's just all of a sudden, it became more real to me, something I already knew in the Word, 
and all of a sudden it becomes a revelation, right? It's not, it wasn't a new revelation. It was just what the Word already said, that I don't deserve anything. And I'll tell you what, I began to just say that every day. Every, I would be going through stuff, you know, just whatever, just life, good things and bad things, and say, I don't deserve this. I don't, but I don't deserve anything. If it was bad, I would say I don't deserve it, but I don't deserve anything. Thank God for his grace. If it was good, I'd say, well, I don't deserve this. This is his grace. And this revelation came that we are, we don't deserve anything. That we are, we must be like Christ, be selfless. Now, God is so good that you could look at someone's life and think, well, they don't seem like, they live like they don't deserve anything. And, and it's, a, it's a heart issue. This is a motive inside the heart. God gives us many things. God can give you any, I mean, really, what is his limit? You ever just stop and think about the life you have or where you live, the family you're in, and so on? It's very ordered by the Lord. Because what limit is there to God? If he could give you this, couldn't he give you that? And, if he, and then you should ask the other question. Well, you've given me this. Why didn't you give me less? Anybody ever ask that? We always just say to the Lord, why didn't you give me more? Do we ever say, Lord, why'd you give me so much when others have less in this particular area, whatever that is? And we must realize that it's because we are who God has made us to be for his plan and for his purpose in the place that he wanted you, in the town he wanted you, in the home he wanted you, and so on. And it's for his glory, and all of that's just going to disappear anyway all of it, no matter how much or how little or how good or how bad, it all just gets dissolved. And all that's going to matter is, did I know him? The second question is, after did I know him, is did I please him? Was I pleasing to the Lord? Was I a good and faithful servant? Well, this is amazing. I really enjoyed preaching this sermon today. We're going to get deeper into that because there's so many points here. We're going to break down Philippians 2 and... And I'll just give you a preview that we must be selfless like Christ. And that's where true love is. We must think differently. We must have the mind of Christ. And, and it can't come by you trying to be like Christ. You can't just think different. You need to literally let him give you a brain transplant. Change the way you think. Not making a choice. I'm going to think differently today. I'm going to choose to be different. Sure, that's fine in the beginning. But then he literally changes the way you think, so you don't have to try to think good, right? Who's, who's been there? Who has lived that? At first, it's forced, and then it becomes it's who you are. We're going to look at that, and really, that's who, that Christ was in a different state of mind. He just thought differently. We must think like him. His humility, how humble Jesus was, humble, like not just humble, but humiliated. Humble and humiliated are the same root. The word humiliated is just a different end to the, to the root humble. You can, you can call it humble, or you can call it humility, or you can call it humiliated. It's all the same root word as humble. And that's the type of humble Christ was. He wasn't just humble. Anybody can be humble, which is quiet, right, polite, and act humble. But what about when you're humiliated? Are you still humble? Because if you're not, then you're not humble. That's Christ's humility. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at his obedience. Obedience, the Bible says, not just obedient, but all the way. There was a path 
that led him to where? To just here and there with the disciples? Okay, that was fun. See you later. I'm going to take a chariot like Elijah. No, his obedience led him all the way to the cross. He laid down his rights, the Bible says. His privileges were laid down. He actually had the rights. He said to Peter, don't you think I could just call? Don't you realize I could ask for thousands of angels to come and assist us in anything, for that matter, not just right now? But then the Lord's purpose wouldn't come to pass. So he put aside heavenly rights. And you, you know that you and I have heavenly rights. There are many, many heavenly rights as sons and daughters. Don't be ashamed of that. But the Bible says the same attitude as Christ, that he realized that I'm on the earth for a purpose. I'll be in eternity forever again, like I already was with you. But I have a purpose here. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so we're going to see that even Christ himself put aside things that he could have had, things that aren't, weren't evil, they're not evil, and yet it would have hindered, my Bible says, the purpose that God had for him on the earth. Amen. So these are some things we're going to get deeper into, but I wanted to give you a preview of those because the Lord's really calling us in this time, and he's been doing this. He's calling us to a deeper and closer relationship, and the reason it matters so much, and it's this is just from the Word. I don't give you my opinions, and if I do, I tell you it's my opinion. This is just Word, Word, Word. It's so important because the Word right now is being trampled on more than ever. It is literally just disappearing. It's dissipating. There are some mega churches scattered throughout the country, but as a whole, churches and Christianity, for that matter, is declining at such a fast rate, they predict it will just disappear. I don't know when that year is, but it's just going to go away. That's how quickly it's declining. And we must be people that are not ashamed that it's different, that we are different. Be okay that you're not normal. You are normal in God's eyes, that we are the real normal. Come on, they want to define a new normal. This is the real normal. Amen. Praise the Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, for this word. I thank you, God, that you are so good to us and kind and merciful and gracious to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be, Lord, diligent as your word says. Lord, you told them many times to be diligent, Lord, to, to seek out what your word says, and your word shows us, Lord, time and time again, that when they listened to you and when they followed you, Lord, and when they put things in order, your word shows us example after example that, Lord, then the blessings of God came. That's when things got became right in all these other areas, Lord, because they put you where you needed to be and sought you. And I pray that we would do the same, that you would become, Lord, not just number one on our list, but that you would become the list. Lord, that you would be everything and anything, Lord, that you would consume our thoughts, consume our talk, Lord, consume, Lord, where, what we do and where we go again, Lord, that we would come back to that old Christianity, Lord, where you were everything. It wasn't so mixed together, and I praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're leading us this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.